So this morning we are reading our text from um, Mark, and Mark has a couple of different versions, but we're going to read it from the uh, short version this morning. It leaves us with an odd little sense. I'm going to be reading from Mark 16 um, and verses 1 through 8. This is the original scripture. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, and he has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place that they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There he, you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and they fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thanks be to God for the reading and the hearing of this, his holy word. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, as we enter into your presence this morning, we bring all the expectations of an Easter morning. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Most scholars believe that uh, this was the original ending of Mark, but that because the early church couldn't reconcile the fact that no one shared the good news, they wrote some subsequent verses. But this was the ending. It ends with, and they said nothing to no one, for they were afraid the end. That was it. It stops abruptly. It leaves us in the garden with nothing else to imagine. Or is it? So I have been to uh, one, uh, well, actually both of the traditional sites of the burial. One is in the old city uh, in, in the, inside the walls of Jerusalem, and one is just outside the, the modern walls of Jerusalem. And so we went to the one that was garden-like. I love that one. Now, it was interesting, though, as we got to that space, uh, it is kind of down an alleyway off of a main uh, street that was very busy with people walking, and you walk down this alleyway and you wait to be let into the gate of the garden. And you wait, as we were waiting outside, there were 
those of us who uh, were obviously American, it's very obvious when you're over there, us Americans kind of stand out. And then there was a group of people that lived in Jerusalem or nearby, were local people, and they were saying something that offended one of our one of our women, and so she scolded the man who then turned and scolded her because he does not take word from women, to which her son then wanted to bolt into his face. And even in that moment of anxiety and terror, you could sense the tension in that place. But then the gates of the, of the garden opened, and we were let to go in. And as soon as we past that threshold, we were in this beautiful space and all of that stress left us. It was lush and it was green, unlike the alleyway which was dusty and dirty and cobblestones and uh, cinder brick walls. But inside this place was beautiful. At one edge, of the garden, you could look over the edge of the, of the fence and you could see the cliff, the cliff they called Golgotha, because if you looked closely enough, there was a skull-like image in the side of the cliff. And then on the other side of the garden, there is this beautiful cave honed out of the, of the side of the cliff, of the wall, and, and a round stone that was rolled back and, and, a, and a door, a modern door on this grave that said, He has risen. Recently, in a Lenten devotional, I wrote this about it. We were in a group of 36 friends from our church, and we gathered around the entrance of that tomb, and we prayed silently. We were left with our own thoughts. It was somewhat surreal. This mixture of tension and serenity, beauty, and yet desert. It, we were left with our own thoughts in the surroundings of the tomb. There was this beautifully landscaped garden with trees and flowering plants and walkways and gathering gazebos. And it was in one of those gazebos that we all gathered for Holy Communion. We gathered as the 36 of us there and we recalled the story of the upper room in which Jesus washed the feet of his own disciples and shared with him his final meal and then he gave himself up for us. We sang the hymns that we loved and we shared the bread and the cup together. It was peaceful. It was life-giving. It was filled with hope, and, and it was somber all at the same time. But then, as I began to think about it, I imagined that 2,000 years ago it was nothing like this, this treasury that has now been turned into one more tourist site. 2,000 years ago, instead of peace, there must have been a sense of danger surrounding that tomb. 2,000 years ago, instead of hope, there must have been a sense of disappointment. Disappointment that the Savior that they so hoped for had been crucified. Instead of life, it must have felt a little bit like death. 
So the women came. Who are these women? Well, Mark doesn't tell us a whole lot besides their names. They come in the morning, just after sunlight. They come with a task to do. He doesn't tell us much about them, but he tells us what they do or what they, they don't do or at least what they intend to do or try to do. They intend to anoint his body. These spices, like the ones I shared with our children during children's church in the first century, were not only put on the bodies to cover up the smell, they were also put on the bodies to to, uh, help with the decomposing. Because in a tomb, they laid there for one year, and then they moved all of the bones into a box and put them in a niche inside the tomb walls. So when Joseph of Arimathea lent them this tomb, it was temporary. That final laying place was intended from the very beginning to be a temporary place. But they didn't know exactly how temporary it was going to be. Mark is more interested not in what they do, but what they didn't do. Because Mark ends it on these words, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They didn't even anoint his body, the, thing that, the very thing they came to do. They didn't anoint it because it was not there. What was there is this young man. In Mark's story, this young man seems a bit familiar. There was this odd little young man that shows up in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was arrested. And as everything, all the chaos was ensuing, this young man who was dressed in a sheet alone tried to escape and was ripped. The sheet was ripped off of him and he ran away. That man was naked and he ran away, but this young man was dressed in white and he stayed. That young man was afraid and scared to death for his life, but this young man seemed to be filled with a confidence of life, a very assurance of what his role was that day. He was filled with the confidence of resurrection. We aren't introduced to this man in the story. We're not told much about him, either in the Garden of Gethsemane or in the Garden of the Tomb, because it is not his story. His job is merely to point. Point the women in a direction. Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples and Peter, he says. Well, where the heck is Peter and the disciples in this moment? The last time we saw Peter, he was outside the, the uh, high priest's courtyard, and he was in tears. The last time we heard from Peter, he was swearing that he didn't know this man named Jesus and had nothing to do with him. The last time we knew of Peter, he was found accountable for his denial by the crowing of the rooster. It was in that moment he knew that he had failed big time. And the other disciples, well, where were they? 
Where were they even when Peter was there? As soon as they came to arrest Jesus, they are gone. They are vacant from the scene long before Peter is. They didn't even try to watch from a distance like Peter did. They were nowhere to be found once Jesus had taken, was taken by force in that garden. They said nothing because they had abandoned the entire scene. They, were, they weren't at the trial, if you could call it that. They weren't at the crucifixion. They weren't even here when they laid Jesus in the tomb, and they weren't here with the women in the morning. These disciples, who had been the very ones who walked proudly at the head of, of the groups that surrounded Jesus all throughout his ministry, even into the city of Jerusalem on that final week, were nowhere to be found. The Romans, nowhere. The priests and the lawyers, nowhere. Their job was done. They had nothing to say because there was nothing to report, and it wasn't their story anyway. Mark is interested in one story. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There is where you will see him. Mark leaves the, the, the gospel in the same place that he opens it. Mark does not open his gospel with the birth narrative. God, Mark does not tell about the child Jesus. Mark does not even tell about Mary and Joseph and the land of Nazareth. Mark opens the story in Galilee with Jesus on the scene, and that's where he leaves it. He takes us back to the beginning, where Jesus is already there. It is the good news that this empty tomb, the good news is that Jesus has already gone, gone to be there, gone to be ahead of us as he told us he would. For Mark, it's not a story about a young man in white. It's not a story about flawed or faithless followers who fall away from God because they can't bear to see the unbearable and unbelievable pain that humans inflict on one another in the name of power and position and institution. For Mark, it's not even a story about the institutions, governmental or religious. It's not even a story about those who stand closely by and crawl towards Jesus, even in the darkness of human sin, reaching for that broken body that has taken on the full weight of all that life can bear. What Mark convinces us in these final verses which seem to end all too abruptly is that it's not a human story at all. It's a divine story. It's the story of God. God's the actor here. God's the doer. The women have nothing to do or say because it is God's story. In the legacy of resurrection, God comes to each of us no matter where we are. Jesus is already there waiting for us. 
And I am so thankful for that. Because if I look at every one of those characters, I can find myself in each one of them. There have been times in my life when I have turned my back on God, when I have failed to show up when others are being oppressed or discriminated against, when I find myself sitting safely within my home while others take up the dangerous flight to dismantle racism or classism or nationalism or any other ism. I find myself sometimes standing comfortably within the bounds of my own beloved institutions, whether they're formalized or they're informal, because there is this sense of false security inside the walls of tradition. Other times I do show up. I do show up, but I hang out in the shadows or show up at the foot of the cross when my friend or another is struggling just to take the next breath. I stand up, I I stand by them, but not too closely because it might require me to get into their business. It might require me to fix a problem that seems bigger than what I can fix. And so I stand by silently because to do otherwise might mean that I have to get into the messiness of human condition. Mark says that whether we abandon others or we show up, whether we flee in terror or amazement or say nothing to anyone because we're afraid, God is there. Not only there to meet us, but to go before us. Friends, we are someone because of Easter. We are the ones who not only Sorry, we are who we are not only by what we do or not do, but only by the grace of God. We are made new in this resurrection, like the seeds that come to life after the death of winter. We are made new in this resurrection, not in the past, not in some future date, but right now, today, every single day. Not because we earn it, but because God gives it. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do or can't do. There's not even anything you can say that will change that. Because Easter just is. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.